forward, everybody. Oh, no, now we're live. Well, we were live. Now we're recording. But now you're hearing this live. Welcome to Flail Forward, everyone. It's Friday. I'm Rob. We're here with uh, Catrice. Hey, Catrice. Hi. I'm here with Catbar. I'm the first, first episode of the year. Yeah. Hey, Catbar. Yeah, Hello. Hello. And we have Monty with us today. Oh, well. hi. Hi. <laughs> Are you going to do a year that guy voice for the entire episode? Oh, no, no. I, oh. I cannot do the Okrahotep for that long. <laughs> okay. I mean, we could, we could, we should do a segment, though, just the, uh, where we just, uh, what was, what was your podcast before? The Aristocratic Society? Oh, yes. Yes. The Aristocratic Society of Sophisticated Gamers. Right. Uh, it was, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's still probably floating around on the internet somewhere. Um, it's exciting. Thank you. We should bring it back as a segment where we uh, review games with monocles. <laughs> <laughs> and top yeah. And we, do, we say things like, ooh, the paper quality is so low. I'm one, for one, trying to figure out how to restream this, but, you know, whatever. From where? Uh, the, the Twitch. Okay, yeah, Twitch looks like it's uh, online. Uh, it's okay. Facebook Live still is fucking up for whatever reason. Oh, this is this is being broadcast on Facebook by. Uh, it's not really apparently. So he's gone. Where's gone? Oh. Oh. I guess he really hates Facebook. I wasn't. It's not broadcasting on Facebook. <laughs> Might want to message him. Oh. Yep. First podcast of the year. <laughs> no, it's not it's not supposed to broad broadcast to Facebook. Uh it's just it's just posting it to our Facebook page that we're live, that's all. Oh. No, 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 we're not doing that. Or at least I don't think we're doing that. I hope. Uh, I mean, I mean, you should be able to go to our Facebook page and tell us if, or let me just check. I don't think it is. Okay. Oh. We have started the episode. <laughs> now Kevin has left, and we're going to restart. In uh, well, I'm not going to edit this. So no, I uh, he'll be back in ten minutes. Okay, okay. good enough. <laughs> Already, this, this is just how we do. This is fine. Yep. Yep. This is no, everybody expects this. He has a perfectly valid point as well. He was like, I am not having anything at all resembling my intellectual property anywhere near Facebook. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I kind of I kind of agree. I kind of agree. It's uh yeah, fair enough, man. Uh but let me let me just let me just confirm, because I don't want to tell him something and be wrong. That would be that would be an asshole move. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jesus Christ. I haven't logged into our Facebook page in so long that I forget how to do it. Okay. <laughs> it's probably uh, been hacked. And it's just... No. Oh, no. We got nine notifications. How nice. 
Uh, yeah, it did. It did post the link properly, and we are not broadcasting. Woo! Great. Technical stuff uh, actually uh, worked the way I thought it was supposed to, which is uh, not par for the course, but I'm very happy about it. So here we are. We are live again. Welcome to Flail Forward. Tonight, um, we're going to talk about uh, something that Monty brought up in chat, actually. So this is a idea. So what? why don't you fucking tell us what topic is? <laughs> All right. So basically... Um... Like, I have a game, actually, tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for... Um, I mean, honestly, I'm probably going to play D&D because they're all new players, and it's just... Mm -hmm. That's just what everyone knows and feels like they should be sure. getting. So there's an expectation there. Yeah. But what I was trying to find um, in my journey to choose which game to play was a game with a dice system in which... Uh, you didn't just have a straight success or failure. There was either degrees of success or degrees of failure, or you succeed, and but something bad happens, or you fail, but at least something good happens. I was mm -hmm. trying to find a good game that kind of hit those points. Okay. So that out of out of the because so what was the main reason you were trying to do that? Um. So for me, like I am typically like an improv style GM like I do set up like I do set up kind of like the general outline of what I'm thinks going or what I think is going to happen during the session but I and I set up like one or two encounters um but other than that I like to have kind of what the players do uh drive everything um a part of that is also offloading some of the mental bandwidth that requires me to make every single die roll a little bit interesting um so, for example, like if you're trying to unlock a door, but and you succeed, but you get one of the rolls that something bad happens. Like, okay, you unlock the door, but in the process of opening the door, it makes a really loud squeak. Like, right. like offloading, offloading that um, onto the die a little bit to say, like, okay, you succeeded, but something failed a little bit. It's, it just makes it a little bit easier for me as the GM to run that. For sure. Like the game is bringing the kind of intrigue or uh, variance and not so much you or like, it's guiding mm -hmm. you to come up with that variance. I think. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it, and also on top of it, it also guides the players too. The players can also mm -hmm. take th that opportunity to inject a little bit of their own personal like narrative flair into the story. Yeah, I think, I think um, <clears throat> as designers, like the three of us are really strongly focused on that. So you're in the right spot. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I mean, ashes is like cleaving closer to that all the time. And I know that, um, Sarasa, which is, uh, Catrice's game is very much about like wrapping the world around the players and, uh, the mm. Mark's game, um, practice on them. Yeah. Is, uh, is like you do a questionnaire before you start to, generate the world and then you don't do character creation you just start playing and then your character sort of yeah the, the deck of cards that you generate at the beginning of the game kind of keeps coming back so the idea is that you're you're filling it in with like uh random events uh in the game come up as you draw cards that are referencing these like elements of the story you wanted to have included so they're good and bad things that happen that are related to the the important bits i guess mm -hmm. 
but so, yeah, it's only something that I've chased in in my design as well. Uh, but uh, I'm curious, uh, Monty, what kind of games you ran into when you were looking uh, for this kind of experience? So uh, the big games that I ran into, um, one mainly because I'm currently listening to the Adventure Zone right now, um, was uh, was powered by the Apocalypse. Specifically, there was a, a variant called a uh, uh, what's it called Mon the, the Monster of the Week. Um, oh, yeah. In which, in which you can have successes, or you can have mixed successes, in which you s succeed, but you have, but something bad happens to you. Mm -hmm. um, there's a game that I really actually like running and um, almost chose, uh, which is, it's, it's not so much the game; it's the it's the Genesis system, which mm -hmm. the die rolls naturally have. You know, you can you can generate successes, but you also generate threat, which is you know bad things that will you know influence what's happening in the game right um and then i also took a look at stuff like uh like savage worlds which it's which is not so much um it's not so much you know success with bad things but it's how good do you succeed mm -hmm. uh and yeah and, the, uh, the raise system is is part of it doesn't do it as i recall at least it doesn't do a uh, you fail, but something good happens, or you succeed and something bad happens innately. I think it, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, as I recall. So, quick mm -hmm. question then. What ended up with the, like, you're apparently still looking, so why did these not satisfy you? Um, well, specifically because of how new the group is. Um, I am playing a game tomorrow with seven players, uh, only two of them have ever played an RPG before, and those two had only played one once for an hour. So um, everyone's just kind of on the on a new page, and I just wanted to be like, "Here, roll this big shiny die and tell me the number on it." Like, I like see. I didn't I didn't want to have to draw them through the whole like, okay, like in Genesis, let's count up all these, let's count up all these, now subtract these. Like, I didn't right. want to introduce like friction mm. to the player. Uh, so, so that's fair. why I chose D and D, um, just because it's the game that I know the most, and it's the game that I know which rules are okay to break because no one cares. <laughs> that's a really good point, actually. Like knowing a game well enough to know which rules aren't going to cause, like, if you if you ignore them, they're not going to cause the game to uh, come to mm -hmm. a fail state immediately. That's yeah. a really useful, and it's a good reason to stick with a game system because, you know, the last thing you want to do is like be start running a game for seven people and then get in the middle of it and be like, oh shit, we forgot this thing that's really like important. Yeah, it's not not just important, but like it's crucial to the experience somehow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. and and for D and D, like I also know that, like, if we come across a rule that I don't know, mm -hmm. uh. Because it's There's just a D20 system, I, yeah, yeah, I can just munch it together, like, yeah, like, oh, what kind of skill would you check for this? I don't know. We're just just roll intelligence and add your proficiency. It's fine, right? Like, yeah, the the thing I'm noticing there as well is that when you hit a rule that you don't recognize, especially if it's in a system that you've used a fair bit for a fairly long period of time, kind of tells you that the rule doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good point too. Yeah. If well, it ah uh, hmm. I'm trying to think of a specific countermanding instance of that. Okay, I can't. 
think of well <laughs> listen okay it's possible it's possible to have several sessions of riddle of steel where combat doesn't happen and it's like 50 percent of the book so i mean there's I need to say something. Yes, go ahead. Or Chad, anyway. Uh, there is also uh, not realizing something is a rule and, ha and playing a much worse game because you didn't realize how a rule works and just yeah. assuming that the uh, works and that you played wrong for who knows yeah. how I, I could I'm, see that. I mean, I have games on my show. Oh, sorry. If you play it wrong, uh, seem, uh, I don't know, like, 30% of people's experiences with Apocalypse World is roughly that, I think. But <laughs> experience. Yeah, it, it's the transition from the I use the skill on my character sheet to I do a thing, what moved as a trigger is um, that that was hard for me to wrap my head around when I ran Dungeon World for the first time. It, it, rather than the players looking at their character sheet and picking a thing, they're supposed to say what they do, and then if the move, if if the fiction would trigger the move, then they reference the sheet, not the other way around. Which is in D and D, you look at your sheet, pick a thing to do, and then it just happens. Mm -hmm. But the 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 fiction first approach was not intuitive to me the first time I ran it. So I told, I, I mean, yeah, it, it is it is something like that would have been really helped by having a. Um, by watching a watching a real play through the first time I, I did Apocalypse World, which I don't. Well, Dungeon World in your case. Yeah, Dungeon World. Yeah, for, for that particular thing. Yeah. Well, well, Dungeon World isn't. <laughs> anyway. Uh... Fair enough, but like I'm just I'm just saying like there there that was the the particular stumbling stumbling point that is common to all all powered by the Apocalypse and Fiction first games where you where you you have triggers rather than picking actions. I, I never had a problem with that, but that's because that's how my brain's wired. But we're. <laughs> I like, think I it's not even just that. Yeah, I was basically. Whichever. Sorry. Basically running vampire like that, so, you know, <laughs> which is its own problem. But that's beside the point. Um, I, I think that a lot of it comes down to, like, which games you play first. Mm hmm. Because if you do play D&D &D as your first game, it does set up certain expectations and kind of builds bad habits in some ways. In some ways, it might build good habits as well. But you do start to think of things a certain way. And if you do something like fiction first after, it is antithetical to the concept of how D&D is run. So... <laughs> If you introduce people to D&D as their first game, they may actually have problems with understanding later games. It's true. It, mm -hmm. it definitely is like about how you come into the gaming sphere. And I like that what you said was that it's good habits in some cases and bad habits in others, because I think that's true. It's just what game do you gravitate towards and what kind of play style you're looking for. But yeah. Definitely your your first experience, I think, sets kind of a stage for what your expectations are. Yeah. Well, hmm. I mean, kind of, right? I mean, I, I had my first experience really early. That sounds like I got touched as a kid. I had my, <laughs> <laughs> I had, my first D&D &D experience was pretty early, but it didn't really shape. It, it wasn't, it didn't shape my interactions with other RPGs 
weirdly. I don't because I maybe because I went to GURPS pretty soon after that, and that sort of colored my. I don't know. GURPS was like my way out of D and D. Like, that's bold. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's <laughs> but it was freeing at the time, right? So this is like in 1989 or 1990, and it was like D&D was very rigid about what you could do and what you couldn't do and the rules for it. And so the second edition rules in particular are, those hadn't come out yet. This is where I think we were still playing first. Um, but they were clunky and hard to use and you had to look up stuff constantly. And GURPS kind of had had this, the clunkiness was all front loaded in GURPS. If that makes sense, it was yeah. like there was a lot of fiddliness with the character creation, and once we figured it out, it was like, oh, okay, um, you know, now we know what to do. But it was so different from from the D and D. But once we started playing, it was like, wow, this is so much freer because everything's just you roll under skill, and that's that's the whole game practically, except for damage rolls. It's a very like it. Gerps can be a very minimal system if the people playing it don't care about realism that much. Um, yeah, also, like, all the supplements are opt-in, etc. <laughs> GURPS is only complicated because, like, GURPS has calculus driving rules, but uh, also, if your game's not about driving, you really don't need to actually use their fine-tuned driving rules, so, you know, it's irrelevant to most people. Right, but all that to say is, like, it is not, it's not necessarily the first game you're introduced to shaping your entire experience sometimes sometimes it can be the second or third one that really really you know has the key to fit your lock whatever it is like some I, what's up i think it would probably be better to specify it as not the first game you play but the first game you play for an extended period of time and actually get hooked in okay mm -hmm. Necessarily true. <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily, but probably. Okay, sure. I'll, I'll grant you probably, but I will also say I've like I played the White Wolf systems for a fair amount of time, and they have nothing to do with how I run games now. <laughs> well, D and D in this instance, or as well, is all these all six of these players are heavy video game players. What like oh. like heavy to the point that one owns their own video game company and the other and another one is a designer. So like they they grew up and they live and breathe video games all day. And D and D is very D, &D has so many video game translations that it's just it. I'm hoping that at least for them it'll it'll click together a little bit faster. I think um, so. one thing you yeah. might want to explicitly tell them is that. Video games and tabletop RPGs have a lot of intersecting points, mm -hmm. but they do actually have very different strengths and weaknesses. Yes. Like, one of the big ones and that they're going to have to learn by playing is that in a video game, everything has to be planned out in advance. Like... If something happens in the game, and it's like, oh, well, there's an option here. It's because somebody programmed that into the game to be possible to happen. In D&D or any tabletop RPG, you can break the rules. You can do something that isn't included in the rules. You can do something that 
basically it's just here's a stupid idea in this specific context that would not work in any other situation i want to do it anyway and that can actually work and that's something that video games can't do currently. yeah in rpgs you can you can you can ignore explicit rules even you can you can you a rule can say don't do this and you can go fuck that rule i'm doing this anyway yeah. like yeah i mean it, it is one of the reasons that it's such an interesting medium is that it's like very, very, I, I can't think of any other medium in which throwing away the structure of the medium itself is possible for the audience. Yeah. Like it's such a, it's such a weird thing that like, hey, I've got the structure for you that I designed and it's gonna work. And then your audience can say, nah, we're gonna take your shit and play it. And we're not gonna play it the way you intended at all. And that's not like you can't do that with a board game. Generally speaking, like board games just fall apart if you try and do that. There's there's something weird in the in the in the in the in between the like the transject space that is um, that that is occupied by a bunch of human minds like getting together and imagining something collectively that just allows you to reimagine frameworks on the fly even, and that's one of the mm. coolest things about. RPGs, tabletop RPGs, is that they have this mutable quality to them that just doesn't doesn't come through anywhere else. I think that was the thing about GURPS that really hooked us was like how how mutable it was. Like even even uh, even with our limited experience, it was something like. And I imagine I've heard similar tales about Fate from people where like Fate was like the game that really kicked RPGs into high gear for them because it was so narratively focused and they didn't have to think about like you know how these two rules interact or, or, or stuff like that. Although Fate's got a little more like crunchy in the last couple of books that have come out. So, but yeah, I think it's still, I think it's still one of the better frameworks out there. I, I definitely think that there's something about the, the way that RPGs are designed that leads to sort of a non-linearity. Mm -hmm. Like if, if you were to set up a board game uh, you can still have all these choices and different like decisions and kind of branches, but ultimately I think that like you could also just have a game midway through and the decisions are still linear in a way that a player could take. Like you'd have a certain set of options to take and each one would result in a, a game. But with um, RPGs, you have sort of an infinite set of choices that you could make at any of these junctions. Um, so you get this kind of weird experience that you'd never get from any other thing so um anyway i think it's it's we've deviated a little bit off topic but i think what? to kind of bring it back um <laughs> i think I, the the topic was. Uh, <laughs> I mean the topic yeah. was about dice but it, but in the end it's like why choose one system over another exactly and i think i think like the reason is really that um the structures that are there are to guide people towards making certain choices or making um certain things more or less appealing um like the reason that there are rules that i guess you could disregard is to try to generate a, a feeling or an experience that one game tailors better than another mm -hmm. uh, and having something like the dice in gm's hand or having all those dice in the player's hand instead is definitely a choice that the game is making to um, sort of narrow the bands mm -hmm. of what that infinite set of possibilities should be I right. It's all about constraints, right? It's all about like most games will tell you what you 
I think can. the best design games will tell you what you shouldn't or can't do. Right. Rather than what you can. I mean, unless it's a list game where you just have a list of powers that obviously that's going to be like, you know, that thing. But, yeah. I think you can actually segue from where we're currently at back to the dice thing because the concept is a tabletop RPG, like the biggest advantage it has really is well, the non-linearity, the, the fact that there's a human in control of it, like a GM or something, where they can adapt to the current situation as it is. And, you know, the the extra choices that you can make that you can't really make in most other forms of medium. So for the dice side of that, like Monty's trying to get the dice to work with that same kind of concept, like a mm. binary yes or no answer, does it work or not? That kind of doesn't really take advantage of the fact that you're playing a tabletop RPG in the first place. Mm -hmm. it, it It's not really using its greatest strengths, but yeah, I would say something that's completely um, sliding scale, like just roll the dice and based on how much you surpass like a target number adjusts like how good you did. And what I found there is that it becomes too mushy, like the difference between individual uh, die rolls, like what's the difference between a 16 and a 17? And it's like, um, mm -hmm. it's a little too vague. Like there, mm -hmm. there's too much variance and too small of a difference for individual points, they don't stand out. Um, the whole thing with Powered by the Apocalypse, like this was a conversation that was having, I don't know if it was this server or another one, but anyway, um, basically the three tier thing of yes, no, and yes, but. That's a- uh, that, Yeah, that was, that, was, that was our conversation, yep. That was, because yeah, okay. I was talking about the, um, the cube, <laughs> all the different shapes going into the cube, and I made the comment, the offhand comment that was like, oh, that's how Power by Apocalypse feels to me sometimes. Um, and then that generated a huge text thread. But that that's, no, that, that that's, I see what you're going. Like there's, there's yeah. the, Oh, okay, I don't, I didn't. Uh, I didn't read it. I'll, I'll admit. It was it was yeah. very long. <laughs> I read lots of very long things. Yeah, once the one of the players who had played before, um, I had tried to run a game for him. For that. Because I had a time. Uh, the point is, is, every single one, he just couldn't roll above like a five. He had done nothing. Um, yeah, with, right. with rules as. Oh, sorry? Yeah, that is kind of an issue. Yeah. 
in every single board, my ass all the time. Mm-hmm. But anytime we go insanely, stupidly bad luck, like I don't know what it is. So it's like me. It's yeah. almost like I'm designing my game explicitly because of that issue to some degree. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was just trying to find a way to at least make even his failures interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, even if, like, even if it was something like in Genesis where he failed but also generated a ton of threat, like, 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 not only do you do bad, but this also happens. Like, because right. to him, he just wants he wants his his action to matter. And in D anD D, when you fail a die roll, your action does not matter. Absolutely, typically. right? Yeah. So what you're looking for, I mean, pretty explicitly, is Blades in the Dark. Yes, that's that's that was that, another game that, that I've been told. I still haven't looked at the rules to it yet because um, okay. they wanted to play very traditional fantasy. Like I, I asked him several times, like, do you want to play any other type of settings? And I know you can adapt Blades Blades in the Dark to a fantasy setting, but they wanted actually one of the dudes on the server, um, uh, Jason. Uh, he his game is Blades in the Dark set in Sigil. Basically, which is I'm the second sure edition. Sure. I'm, I'm okay. not sure Sigil counts as traditional fantasy at this point. <laughs> it's got satyrs and fire yeah. ganasi, all the stuff that runs around being fantasy yeah, shit. Yeah, it has a lot of fantasy shit in it. It's just yeah. they just wanted and, to be elves and everything, and then yeah. in the end, they didn't choose a single elf or dwarf. They're all like the weird stuff, like the grund or grund okay. and stuff like that. Like so, I mean, th- like that's that's what happens. Like I got a warforged. It's fine whatever they can they can want to play traditional fantasy and then choose none of those races that's mm-hmm. great that, um, that's that, that, that is a mark of people that, that, that makes my respect for them go off if anything yeah so like basically when i gave him a list of like here's all the races that you can be and i was like but if you choose from this column or this column please ask me first just 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 for reasons um but I yeah that's great because it shows that they went in thinking, well, I could be an elf. And it's like, okay, but here's these other options that aren't elves that you have not seen before. And it's like, oh, I didn't even know those existed. Mm-hmm. These actually look more interesting than elves. I actually like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's... I, I don't know if the PDF is out for that yet, but man, that would be... I, that, that sounds like, to me, like the spot-on recommendation because that is a game... So it's it's Blades in the Dark, which and the system of Blades in the Dark is is fairly simple. You're, it's a dice pool game, so you're mm-hmm. rolling d6s. Uh, if you roll, and it's a small dice pool game, so generally, typically, you're rolling around three, like two to five dice. Um, and so, <clears throat> if you roll one six, you have succeeded with no bad consequences. If your highest roll is a four or five then you have succeeded, but there is something, something goes sideways. If your highest roll is a three or lower, then something goes terribly sideways, but you can, you, you have, so if you start out at a, at a safe position, you can escalate the danger of your position to, and then re-roll. Mm-hmm. So, so what that does is it allows, there's a, a really interesting re-roll mechanic that is baked into the game itself that escalates the danger, but also gives the player some agency in when to take on that danger. Um, it, it's, it's good. Oh, and then two, if you roll two sixes, that's a super crit and you get something beyond what you expected. Um, 
it doesn't do the thing typically speaking it doesn't do the thing where it's like you super succeeded but this other weird thing happened um you would have to yeah it's interesting i don't think that doesn't do that it has the, the the four to five is the you got what you wanted but something went sideways result mm -hmm. um but that's the whole that's the whole system basically uh you there's there's nuances obviously like you can usually the skills start out with only one die or or you know your best skill starts out at two dice uh but you can spend your main resource which is stress to gain additional dice and that's like basically trading hit points for success chance mm -hmm. uh, and uh it, it it also works in that you don't have to choose equipment ahead of time you basically choose a loadout which is your encumbrance and then as you pull stuff out of your pack you check off items and those are like what you were carrying so it it has these nice these features that are very beginner player friendly um, because they don't have to make a lot of the, a lot of the decisions are not front loaded, mm -hmm. um, and that I found that that is effective in getting people into games fairly quickly. The fact that there's that it's using six sided dice. I mean, you could do that with it. It would be it would be trivially easy to convert it to a d twenty system. I yeah, mean, I mean. Yeah. The yeah. like the more and more I hear about Blaze in the Dark, which is this weird game system that everyone always recommends to me, mm -hmm. and I I'm just obstinate for some reason. I've not actually checked out the rules, but it, but every time I ask a question, the answer is, oh, Blaze in the Dark does that really well. Yeah, and that's here's what, basically here's what, here's what it doesn't do well. It does not it does not make for long running campaigns. There, okay. there in my experience, Cavour's experience is different. Um, but in my experience, it tends to peter out. Yeah, I've, I've heard other people have this experience too. Um, and it, it's, it, it has this thing where like, it, one of the great things about it is it has this uptime downtime structure because it's a heist game. So what you're doing is you are basically scouting a heist, doing the role playing to get up to the heist. The heist is where all the dice are rolled. And then you have a downtime thing where you like the consequences of the heist happen and then you kind of go get into the next one and then you do another heist thing and it, it has this very structured uptime downtime thing um i found that that structure is a little too constraining uh be, but only be, maybe only because it's harder to conceptualize things that aren't heists as heists uh even though that's what the game is supposed to do uh there's another game called um, Band of Blades, which is which uses Blades in the Dark as its core system, but the structure of it is radically different. It's a um, instead of a gang of thieves or criminals, basically gang of criminals committing crimes in a steampunk fantasy setting, it's uh, a medieval army on the run from an army of the dead, and the army of the dead is always there. It is a perpetual threat, and you are basically always on the move uh, as this band of mercenaries. Um, and you have like a, a leader of the mercenary band. And it's a really, that that one's interesting in that because it takes the idea of having the one location where you do stuff and then just flips that on its head and makes you always on the move. I think it's, that's a really interesting. Uh, and then there's a science fiction one called Scum and Villainy, which I have, I have but I haven't really checked out. Um, oh yeah, I yeah, yeah. that came out recently. Yeah, that, that that it looks really good. It basically allows you to 
play the Millennium Falcon or Firefly. <laughs> uh, and and uh, yeah, it, I it's there's enough people working on like really diverse power, like Forged in the Dark products that um, there's a there's a wealth of stuff out there now uh, because the framework is 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 pretty good. Um, I don't I don't think it's perfect, obviously, because I'm designing what, <laughs> I, think is, what I think is a better version. But um, it, a, a lot of you know when Blades in the Dark came out, like it was really demoralizing because it was like, oh, this is the game I was trying to design on a lot of levels. Yeah, um, I think. I think I think I your think point really of well, when um, when you brought up the it was basically a heist game mm -hmm. that was I think I get to that point whenever I research it and I'm just like all right that's not what I want and I see I think I stopped there mm -hmm. um, because I do remember hearing that before and that usually instantly kind of turns off my my interest because yeah. that's not the type of game that I was trying to run but mm -hmm. um, I know better because I know almost any game system you run you can always just change. To suit your uh, it's very the problem is blades in the dark is well designed uh so it's actually very hard to make it not a heist game yeah. oh, okay. so no if you don't want to run a heist game do not actually run blades in the dark yeah no <laughs> like like the like the, the forest in the dark things aren't just taking the same rule set and adapting them like the rules are different and the the reason the rules are different is because they're so tightly matched to what the game is supposed to do so like there are rules in the Band of Blades that are all about all about dwindling resources and um, and, and movement and mapping and stuff like that, and that Blades in the Dark just doesn't have, and that's because the experience it's trying to deliver is this specific thing: mercenary army on the run from Army of Undead. It's not th thieves trying to evade capture and death in a. Uh, uh, steampunk Victorian fantasy. Um, so like, and the rules support both of those things, but the rules are different. So like knowing how to play Blades in the Dark doesn't automatically make you know how to play Band of Blades. And that's the thing that, that that's different from the way like a D20 system games generally work. Generally the rules are very, very similar. And sometimes there's a little tweaking, but generally it's, you're doing, you have the same stats, you have the same um, basic framework, like in Band of Blades and, or even Scum and Villainy. Um, the frameworks are similar, but there's pretty strong divergences, and the divergences really matter for what they're trying to do. So it's, it, yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's just, it's just, it's good, it's good information to have because if you don't want to run a heist game, then you sh absolutely should not take Blades in the Dark and do something different with it. You should look and see if somebody else has built, like, I want to do Cyberpunk in Blades in the Dark. There, I think there's three games now that are... Uh, Shadowrun-esque Blades in the Dark hacks. Yes, well, there's Shadowrun. There's, yeah, Sixth World, I think, was the first one. And then yeah. there's another one. And then there's... Um, um, I'm sorry, Hack the Planet, which is a climate change cyberpunk RPG, which is really cool. And um, uh, uh, what I mean by when I say a Shadowpunk, uh, a Shadowrun one, is I can think of three that are, yes, it's cyberpunk, but also there's magic. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know. 
But yeah, that's the thing. Like they're and they're published settings. It's not like this is a hack somebody put on a PDF somewhere. It's like the, the, there's a physical book you could get if you wanted for these things. It's there. That's how like pervasive the system the, that that framework has has legs. You know, for good reasons. Um, there's one that I uh, God, uh, feel like I should talk about in which we live and breathe now, but I don't know <laughs> about a divergence. Uh, anyway. No, I mean, you usually have things to say about Blaze in the Dark, but... Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, so, In Between Live and Breathe is a stripped-down version of Blaze in the Dark with a... Uh, and it's, like, what it's one of the... Um, how should I phrase that? It's one of the Shadowrun-likes. Uh, it has... What was the title again? I didn't quite catch it. In Which We Live and Breathe. Oh, In Which We Live and Breathe. Yes. 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 Definitely finished and unlikely to... And probably not the main person writing it up. Anyway, uh, and I'm the reason why I think I should mention is I'm running it. Uh, it makes certain resources communal in interesting ways, and the it, it's the reason why I like it, like a lot like it, is it actually has a framework that supports being a punk resistance in your cyberpunk game instead of uh, being a corporate tool. <laughs> but that's beside the point. <laughs> Well, that's all. That's usually how it goes, right? Cyberpunk, you basically like in in Shadowrun, like you your your early games are all like we have to work for the corporations until we accrue enough money to go fuck the corporations. Yeah. So I mean that it's it's it's, it's a that's a pretty standard. Yeah, it's. Uh, it should be. More, you you're trying to support a dying community in any way you know how, and ideally in a way that's going to mess up the people who are making your situation worse, but uh, probably... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, God. I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm making myself... You don't have to say that. You yeah. can just stop talking. That's the best thing about talking. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, Blades in the Dark is cool if it's what you're trying to do. Uh, there's a lot of Blades in the Dark hacks. Most of them are reasonably thought out. Some of them are not. Uh, but most of them that are not do not actually make it to, to a point where they're reasonably published, so it's fine. Uh, anyway, what was I so, thinking? Um, so, Monty, it sounds like with uh, your decision to play D&D that you kind of decided what, uh, what is best for your players. Um, but are there games that your research is like highlighted for you that you're going to pick up um, for yourself and maybe we'll introduce this group later. So I'll probably pick up Blaze in the Dark, at least for myself. Um, this group, um, this group, I don't it's kind of like a whim. It's something we've always talked about in this group right. is like them, like let's play Dungeons and Dragons. Like, and it's, it's kind of become a meme with us in a way because like we keep talking about doing it and yet we never do it. So I was just like one day like, okay, this day we're doing it and everyone seems on board. Um, so what else would I introduce them? I guess it kind of depends on our session zero tomorrow. Um, Cause right. you know, we're all going to build our character and then going to have them just kind of like go through. Um, I was going to set up kind of a, a little mini scenario. Cause I, I always set aside like two hours for character building. And so I need at least probably one more hour of just like them, them experiencing the system directly. So, right. <clears throat> uh, 
this may be our only game, but I expect at least one more for them to actually like play through another game. Um, that, yeah. that being said, like if they want to keep going, uh, we'll probably stick with D and D until whatever uh, arc that I was going through uh, completes, and then um, I just love running Genesis, so. Mm -hmm. Naturally, that's the one in my head that I think of, but uh, but Blades in the Dark or a variant of it would be interesting. Um, Dungeon World would be interesting if they wanted to stick with the, the fantasy theme. Um, I'm sure there's a better PvPA yeah. uh, fantasy ex exploration than Dungeon World. Let's just put it... Just... Yeah, dun I would, Dungeon World is low on the list of... of, of... Mm -hmm. I, only, only because it was one of the first, and so like they're, game, they're just games that... that deliver that experience better now i think yeah I, I was going through the 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 powered by the apocalypse site um, mm -hmm. and all their different games that they had uh some of them like like i see the game uh, that was linked which is in which we live and breathe which sounds interesting i love shadow run and the ability to do shadow run in a different system is always interesting i just I hate games with weird, not weird names, but um, games with long names that describe absolutely nothing what the game is. <laughs> All right. So, no, I mean, no. If uh, you understand the reference uh, in which we have been breathing, says exactly what it is. But that's... yes, that is true. I just, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a minor pet peeve of mine. So that's just, <laughs> that's just me personally. Um, I'm, a, I'm a very simple person, and I like my game <laughs> to have two words in it. That's um, fair. But, uh, like, I was looking through the different, like, fantasy campaigns, and, like, there's the traditional, like, oh, this is the Lord of Rings one. This is the, this is the mm -hmm. other famous fantasy author's uh, world built in power by the apocalypse. Like, okay, that's cool. Um, but uh, I will probably just take m more looks at it because power by the apocalypse does seem like a good system for us. Mm -hmm. uh, just as we grow. Um, okay, yeah. Forge Dark was the was yeah. the other Blades in the Dark one. Okay, yeah, yeah that, 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 the generic that. name for uh, Blades Hacks, basically. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, I'm not sure. Those are those are the the official ones that are getting mm -hmm. that uh, have have physical books. And then there's I will go to the other place that people will want for Blades in the Dark, which is their Discord server, which is. Quite good. Uh, one second, I'm just gonna find that shit. Doot doot. Where are we? It's in one of these fucking folders. I mean, I can tell you which game system I won't play, and that's just actual Shadowrun. But <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I feel like I, that's why every. I feel like uh, that combined with the fact that it started as like a heist game is why everybody is why there are so many. Uh, how should I phrase this? Why there are so many Shadowrun uh, Blades in the Dark hacks? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, like Shadowrun, Shadowrun's cool, and I, I like the, you know, like everyone else here, I'm sure. Um, there might be exceptions. But yeah. I, I like the world. I like the integration of magic and cyberpunk. Cool. That's great. Everything about that's great. The game itself just is so clunky. If you have more than two hours to do anything, you automatically succeed because you just go find someone to do it for you. <laughs> uh, because that's it's written in the rules that you can do that. The only way, in my 
in my head at least, that you can actually run a Shadowrun game is if you run it like in like a season of 24, in which you, oh, like you say, each session is an hour. This is all you have. Go. That oh. would be pretty cool, actually. That is the only way in my head that I thought that Shadowrun would actually work. Because like I said, I I play with Rob's group, and Rob's group is <laughs> notorious for just breaking every game that we... You, just, you guys just break the game wide open. So I'm like, okay. Like, like here's a problem. Okay, we solved it. Like, what do you mean you solved it? They're like, well, and the rule says here that we can do this. And I'm like, another thing, I'm terrible at rules. I can read the book 20 times, and I will not remember every single rule. Um, I cannot build a puzzle. I, I cannot build rules puzzles for players. And Shadowrun mm -hmm. seems like that would be a thing that you do. Yes. Yeah, Shadowrun is very much that thing. Shadowrun, Shadowrun like almost assumes that anybody GMing Shadowrun was a player that wants to fuck over other players of Shadowrun. That's, like, that's that, that kind of how I feel it. Yeah, it, it's weird because, like, if you don't know Shadowrun inside and out, like, a a competent, like, player group can just completely take advantage of that. And it's not it's not like we're trying to take advantage of it. Like, it's like somebody's a wizard, somebody's a hacker, somebody's a, a, a combat dude, somebody is a, a technomancer or a, a drone rigger or something like that. And they all bring different... So, like, the magic and the hacking and the combat all take place in three separate fucking dimensions. And, like, if if you're a GM mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, I forgot that I there's a... Like, I don't want to read all the fucking spells. Let's just start there. I don't want to read all the spells as a GM. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of stuff. And, like, I want to play this game and I don't want to have to remember all this stuff. And it's like... Okay, but then anybody playing a wizard just runs over your shit. Mm -hmm. and I mean, I, I love magic systems, so to me, reading all the spells is cool. Whether or not I remember as a GM what each spell does at yeah. the time that I'm trying to design an encounter, no, like th that's just not how my brain is going right. to process any of right. that. And, and hey, God forbid you forget to put gas masks on any of your security dudes and the players notice that. <laughs> like gas is just a win button. Like it just, it's like, oh, I just fill the room with nerve gas. Whoops. Game over. And unless like you have like, and the same thing in reverse, if you have a, an asshole, like Shadowrun GM, like they can, there is, there are so many attack vectors that they can comically fuck over players with that. It's hilarious. Like if the players like don't know to buy gas masks, <laughs> fucked like in as soon as they run into a gas mask or if they don't know about stick and shock rounds they're fucked or vice versa it's it, it it like the game is this weird arms race of knowledge you know it's it's mm -hmm. it's, it's a bizarre it's a really bizarre game on a lot of levels i mean not least of which the mechanics get clunkier with every edition which i i i it it blows me away <laughs> That sixth edition Shadowrun is more complicated than fifth edition Shadowrun. Yeah, there was one that simplified stuff. There was one Shadowrun that simplified yes, in the previous it, version. Second to third, that was it. Uh, that was that was the, that was the simple, and then it's arguably third to fourth. But mm. yeah, that's the one I have. I have I have yeah. an, I have another book for fourth, and yeah. but I mean, this is 
probably not the dunk on Shadowrun podcast. So. It is actually okay. <laughs> Don't worry. I, it, happens, it happens every show. I did, however, run a Shadowrun game in Genesis, which was really fun. Oh, that was great. Because okay. I just used the Android rules because that's basically a little bit more futuristic Shadowrun. Mm-hmm. And then because the Genesis rules has magic rules in the in the in the core book and yeah. extended magic rules in another book, they mesh just fine with each other. There's nothing there there didn't seem to be anything wrong with it. But then again, I was also playing for newish players who whose goal wasn't to to break the system right off the bat. Right, right, right. But I, it's just I mean, having played the Star Wars game for a long time that you ran, like it's not that's not that game is not that susceptible to breakage because there's I mean, I yes, arguably I did that, but you know, it was it was that was one ability on the doctor tree that just mm-hmm. that gives that gives you the ability to just like nuke a stun bar, like just with a comical amount and high strength is weirdly good in that system for, mm-hmm. for some reason where you wouldn't expect it to be. Um and so building a hand-to-hand martial artist who's also a doctor just actually happened to be like stupidly effective, but it wasn't, I wasn't trying to break the system. If that makes any sense. It was just, yeah. just I found something that looked that that was cool. I liked the idea of playing like a doctor martial artist bounty hunter type dude. And, uh, and that group needed the healer cause nobody else wanted to do it. Um, and uh, I, I, there was something in the doctor tree that made a martial artist like ridiculously effective. And it was like, Oh fuck. Okay. So, and you actually, I think reasonably house ruled that where it so, was like, okay, you wait, can- wait, 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 you created a combat chiropractor who, yes. who turns people into pretzels. Yeah. My, uh, I, so if we're going to go back to like failures in running a GM for, or b- being a GM for a game, um, I don't consider that totally a failure. I do consider there were some things in that game in which, in which, um, there's there's some things in Genesis that can be done that uh, later editions of Genesis have like pointed out and said like hey, don't don't let people do this. Um, one was uh, if you have if you have a character with like a stupidly high um, can't remember what the stat is off the top of my head, but like a stupidly high intelligence, mm-hmm. um, they are automatically best at every single role that requires intelligence, even mm-hmm. if like like for example we'll take that you're a doctor. And you're trying to roll a mechanics check, and you have a mechanic on your team. You are better at being a mechanic, yeah, mechanically, than the actual mechanic, um, yeah. which is which is ridiculous. Now, like later books do say, like, oh, because you're not an actual mechanic, you're supposed to throw like threat, or you're supposed to throw the the negative dice at them because they don't actually know what they're doing, right? They but just that's not yeah. that's not how skills are supposed to work. It's not you're not supposed to. Like, unless the, the explicit rule for players is if you don't have any skill in this, you get two, two additional black dice, then that's not something they should expect to hit. Like, mm-hmm. they should, I mean, but that's the, that is the problem with the system. Like, adding dice to the pool is just better, is flatly better than upgrading dice. So attributes matter more than skills. Like, it's... It, yeah. it, yeah. Well, the game the game tells you you that during character building. It's like, hey, don't mm-hmm. don't buy skills during character building unless you that's all the points you have left. Like, buy an attribute because you will. Oh, that's be, interesting. Good. Like, yeah. like the new rule books actually say like, d- j- just 
max out your attributes as much as you can because that's what you're good at. Okay. Oh, that's cool. I, I, I really appreciate that. If, if a game explicitly says to players, this is how, this is how the game is designed and you should, you should, you know, adhere to this and you'll have a good time. I'm, I'm all, I'm all in for that. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's, I, I don't think it's a good idea for a game to not know how it's designed such that like it has to obscure its good choices. Oh, you mean like taking toughness? Like, oh, I get more hit points. No, that's right. a worthless feat. Don't ever take toughness in, in Dungeons right. and Dragons. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. Like the kind of thing where it's like, I, you know, um, why, why include options you know are suboptimal for every character? Yeah. You know, it's just bizarre. It's like, why would, like, well, there's, no, there's no character this yeah. is good for. So why? There, there, there is a reasoning behind that. At least in the D and D side, I think we've mentioned there's it a reason. For it. There's a reason. No, no, I, I understand. There's a reason that they have. I'm just saying it's bad. I'm saying, I'm not asking the question. I'm saying it's bad design. Yeah, oh, we disagree. Okay, like the point for listeners who haven't gone through like our entire backlog, yeah, which is probably why you're not listening to this from an insane asylum, is that basically. They intentionally put in false choices that were supposed to be blatantly bad to the point that even bad players would look at and be like, oh, that's a that's a terrible idea. I'm not going to get that. I'm smart enough to choose this other option, which is better. Like, the idea is you're supposed to think that you're smarter than the designer and give yourself a pat on the back and think, like, you're, you're good. It's good for player morale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that that was one of the explicit reasons. The other one was because they were doing something that Monty Cook called ivory tower game design, where it's like it, it, you want to create a strata of players that are better and worse at the game because that, I don't know, I don't know why. I'm not actually, <laughs> I don't remember his reasoning and I don't think, like, I yes, you want that when the game's competitive, but RPGs are not. Like, I question calling them games even. Like there's no strategy that is optimal for what? an RPG that is that is a meta strategy. It doesn't doesn't work like that. And so like why ha there's no there's on, on unless you're playing a game in which there is explicit PvP, there should not be skill strata among players in RPGs of interacting with the game rules. I think. I mean, I definitely agree with that. Um, I would. The only thing I can think of is that D&D, wasn't it just originally, um, and you all probably know the history far better than I do, but wasn't it just originally like kind of a modification of just a war game? And then... Yes, it was. And so, and so like you could still argue the fact that they were thinking of, you know, building a dungeon and building encounters, um, e even if you like constrained to certain rules, like don't throw, you know, don't throw the ancient red dragon against, you know, level one players, you know, that's... Right. That's just not cool. But like, maybe there was a thought that it was still somewhat competitive. It, it, it were, well, it's interesting because Gary Gag himself kind of had this attitude of like, make the game fun at all costs. That was he. He said that many times. Like, like if you're if people are having fun at the table, then you're doing it right, and if they're not, you're doing it wrong. And that's like that's that's it. I I go back to that a lot because that should 
that that is why everybody is showing up like if people are engaged good if not engaged bad um i think there's the the game from its history started out as something where it was like let's see how far you can get you know it was like let's let's increase the difficulty increase your competence and see sort of see how far you can get before you croak and have to start over um you know there was still the idea but i think players moved away from that pretty quickly once they realized that they were constructing a narrative and not playing a playing a board game or a video game with a score mm -hmm. even though there were tournament modules where it was like there was explicitly scored but those were those were explicitly labeled tournament module where it's like we are, we are doing this to see how far you can get because we are we are interested in just the exploitation of the rule set but most of the other adventures most of the pre the modules were like very much like here's a weird narrative that's going on around this adventure and insert the and the players get to interact with the narrative through the dungeon it wasn't about like scoring points and stuff like that. So there, so there was, there were two distinct forks, I think, mm -hmm. uh, uh, for, for early D and D. And I think those, I think both those things still exist in RPGs. You know, I think a lot of there, there are games that are like mechanically challenging, you know, like Torchbearer, I would say is a mechanically challenging game. It's a game that's kind of, kind in in a weird way i can compare it to something like dark souls where it's like there is a level of player skill involved and you can be better or worse and the game is kind of punishing because it it wants you to consider the choices very fully and i think like there's a lot of osr games with that same philosophy where you know the game's rules are set up to be a gauntlet of of increasing your skill at interacting with the rules um and then there's the idea of, of which has led to logical extreme of the story game where you are constructing a narrative and the game's rules are an engine by which you do that. And those are like, that's the story creation engine end of the, of the thing. So I think there's, and D&D, &D, I think, started both of those things. Uh, even though it was an outgrowth of, of a war games rule set, um, mm -hmm. uh, Chainmail. And, and then before that, it was a, a naval naval games rule set, which is where armor class comes from, weirdly enough. Like, so they were using uh, armor class to describe ships and they just kept the terminology because it was convenient for the player base. <laughs> there was no design decision about like, <laughs> yeah, it was just, that was it. It was just kind of an interesting little tidbit. But yeah, so D&D started both, both those things um, and I forget where we were going with this. Yeah, I mean, it's. I but, tend to take everything off topic, so. No, that's fine. That we we set out to do, I think. Mm -hmm. There's actually one thing I want to mention that goes back to like when you were mentioning like the fun at all costs. For some reason, that made me think of the primary design that they had be for the original Diablo, which was, it was described in a very simple manner, kill, reward. And that was the entire basis of the entire game's design philosophy was 
you kill something, you get a reward for it. And it's like, this is a very simple concept, but it actually makes sense because you can build the entire game premise upon something that small and simple, and it actually works because this does go back to like the fundamental nature of what is fun in a game. And it's basically you are rewarding players for doing things that are psychologically beneficial to humans. Like the whole concept of, you know, RPG design elements is basically focused around the concept of progression. Mm -hmm. humans yeah, eventually... although I can, I can think of I can think of at least one counterexample that really stymied us on or me on the progression thing. But yeah, there there are some issues. That's probably going to be next week's topic if we look at that video thing that oh, I yeah. found. Yeah, that was kind of because there are exceptions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the thing is that there are definitely basic psychological needs for humans in general. Like you need to have these basic things if you supply the players with those things and the tools to attain those things, then they're having fun, almost guaranteed. Unless they have like some really bizarre like psychological break in them as an individual rather than as an average person like we could generally say that a game where if the player is to be physically punched in the face because they do something wrong that's probably a bad game design but i can guarantee you that there's somebody into bdsm that actually would want that and they'd consider that fun but that does not mean that this is a normal thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, keep going. Keep going. Just leave that example aside. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just the most extreme example I could think of off the top of my head. Granted. Under normal circumstances. These kinds of concepts are generally good. There's always an exception to every rule. Not everybody will find everything fun. Yeah, Even sure. if by all rights, it should be fun. And for 95% plus of the population, it is fun. There will still be a group of some sort that will not be pleased with stuff. And okay, there's niche games that you can design for that specific player group, regardless of what it is that they desire. It basically just comes down to figuring out what things humans generally actually want and then giving them those things. And I think to go back to the thing of kill reward, it was a very simple thing of, I want my actions to have meaning. If I do something that I'm supposed to do, I should get a reward for it to know that I was supposed to do it. If I get punished for doing the thing that I'm supposed to do, then that sends conflicting messages. Right. So kill a reward is actually really deeply insightful, despite that it's like two words. 
two words. Hmm. Oh my God, that's so weird. 820. Huh. My mom told me something over over the the over the holiday that was really bizarre. She said that if there is a lull in the conversation it is either 20 minutes after or 20 minutes before the hour. <laughs> oh, I see. Interesting. Uh, it just happened. It was that was that was bizarre. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, it's like the conversation version of like Banford's Law. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you if it didn't happen, you would have noticed. That's true. That's fair. That's that's that, that's that bias for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's all, isn't it? Everything's biased. Yeah, see, this is the kind of thing that makes me want to intentionally just, you know, keep talking to <laughs> over to one. Well, just so, to mess with it. Of course. Now, now, now that I've said something, right? That's, shoot. Um, you may have doomed yourself forever. I think I, I think I may have. <laughs> I mean, I could just mute you. I mean, that's it's very easy for me to do that. <laughs> oh, could you do that with people who have the same tier of rights as you? Uh, no. I'm yeah. I'm just on the computer. I could just. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. You can, you, you I don't just... have to listen at all. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the that's the one. I, I was thinking. Oh right. Does this card actually let you do that <laughs> for play, people of equivalent server status? Uh. Yeah, I can mute Cat, I think. Can you yeah. unmute yourself, Cat? Um, I have not touched anything. Uh, I don't think you... Uh, you, yeah. muted, you, you muted Cat for yourself. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see? There there no, if you right-click on people on the on the chat, you can... Uh, there's a little... Put their volume to zero. Uh, you could also yeah. use your GM command to server mute Cat, but I don't think that you should do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> I think you can undo it because we all have the same permissions. I don't think that actually mutes me from talking. I think that only mutes me from typing, which is uh, arguably the more dangerous of the two anyway. Uh, oh, no. It being... Da -da -da. We should get back to talking about games. Yeah, yes, oh. we should... <laughs> <laughs> um, right, things uh, that are game-like. So uh, what are people playing right now? I mean, Monty, we know you're doing you're doing the D&D thing manana, but uh, what, about, uh, what about the rest of us? Right now I'm doing theoretically well, too, although we haven't done the second session yet because it was December. Uh, I'm not sure if you December was not a good uh, month for that group. Let's put it that way. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm also doing As We Live and Breathe, as I mentioned. I have the weekly one-shot thing, which been interesting. Uh, what else am I doing? I'm technically playing Deadlands, but I'm not running it, so that's weird. Whoa, you're not a GM? <laughs> I know, it's weird. Yeah. And I'm running a variation of uh, God, what's that system called? 
it's big it's the thing burning wheel in most guardies i'm using i'm running a variant of that oh i think it's i think it's the burning i think it's the burning wheel system i mean yeah it's weird to call it that because that's you know uh yeah that's the name of the game also so it's like yeah i'm so so what is it a hack of like torchbearer or mouse or it's it started i started mostly with most guard i changed up few things so that they are closer to the original uh, and closer to burning wheel and uh it's not very um uh, theoretically i should have done made it a bit more torchbearer given what it is but i decided not to do that because okay. that wasn't what i wanted to engage with within the specifics it has it also inadvertently become a hack where there are no conflicts because i never remember well not con there are conflicts but there are no uh, contests because oh, okay. uh, I just never remember how to do contests. The the yes, yeah the cross reference chart just bugs me, man. I total I'm totally on board with you. Like just having that thing exist makes me not want to play it. Oh no, I, I I'm fine with the like faint etc. I'm just <laughs> do not do uh, my brain no longer comprehends post rolls. Huh. <laughs> If I have an option not to, but I don't understand it anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, with the exception of very few things, uh, Genesis doesn't have opposed roles. Yeah, that's fine. I, I really should play Genesis one of these days. Uh, I'm just commenting because uh, it's a stupid thing that uh, shows that I'm clearly flawed as a person who runs games. Anyway. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> well, no, what was the thing you were saying? We, um, uh, just a second ago. Uh, shit. Did um, burning wheel, burning wheel, <laughs> burning wheel, torchbearer, Genesis. Oh yeah, the Genesis system. So wait a second. I I thought so. You said Genesis system doesn't have opposed roles anymore. It it. Oh no. Uh, there it, there's like one circumstance in which it has an opposed role. Um. Huh. That's like. I, it's kind of always had like the. It, that's great. I mean, the GM is supposed to rarely ever roll in Genesis. You oh, you establish difficulty by by adding dice. Oh, that's so much pool. better. That okay, good. That's wow. That was that was one of my big turnoffs about the Star Wars system was that you, like the G GM had to roll dice for all the NPCs. Uh, Star Wars was the same thing. I mean, the GM does roll dice for attacking. That's but that's not an opposed roll. That's just the GM's attacking. Uh, it, it, like in in normal social situations, like in normal like regular everyday checks, the GM just basically establishes the difficulty of the check. Um, if that's not how you felt, how I was, or if that's not how you felt, was what was what was happening in the Star Wars game, then I was doing it wrong. Oh, okay. Well, um, that that may be the case, but that's that's also. I mean, that was my interpretation of the rules when I was running the the Jedi game when um you were out for a couple of sessions and i we i ran like a uh, apprentice jedi game using the um force and destiny book and that was that was my interpretation of the rules too so like that that because oh shit what was the, what was the, it was um because of how the 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 only thing that's opposed is i think it was uh, yeah check. That was actually yeah. the only thing I'm going to bring up was the was the way that opposition rules is how well the players do on a stealth check changes the difficulty of the GM's role. Right, right. That's the thing. So I was like, why is this like this? Because it should be like that. You 
it, it makes no sense to me to do to have two roles because you're just adding more random like more chaos to the system like you could you could achieve the same statistical result mm -hmm. with with adding the difficulty dice well just it. like i mean just or like any other system just like in D D, in which or i bring up D D way too much but just like D D, in oh, which well. you can just ignore roles that you don't like or ignore rules that you don't like um you could i mean this is this is terrible telling a bunch of game designers that i'm going to ignore your rules but no, at the same time it's like it's like aware of yeah it's like um if if i just want to make you do a quick stealth check i'm not going to roll a die for each npc that could possibly see you like that's that's annoying for me as a gm it's annoying for everyone as a player to sit there and watch me do it so i'm going to make you roll the stealth roll and then i might i might as a gm roll collectively once for all the NPCs ever in this entire complex that you're sneaking into. Right. Agreed. And what I'm saying is that's how the game should be explicitly written. Like, yes. because, because it's not written that way, I have a problem with that. I with that rule set. Yeah. I think I'm at an advantage because like I said, I forget rules all the time so I can just make it up on the fly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's what you should do. That, that is what you should do. I'd like I, to expand on the opposed roles issue. Like mm -hmm. it's not just that, okay, you're rolling more and there's more chaos added to this. It's actually technically less because the two roles, they actually tend to cancel each other out. It's more so that there was a rule that um, Tom Cadwell had made for League of Legends specifically where he said that any mechanic that you add to a game has to add more fun than it introduces anti-fun mm -hmm. which a lot of people kind of misinterpreted but the idea of anti-fun is that it makes things less interesting like it removes options from players from the game things like that so in the opposed roles issue like let's say you roll really well you roll like an 18 but then the enemy rolls a 19. Mm -hmm. like you had that moment of elation and it's like yes i did real oh right never mind like it introduces the possibility to mm -hmm. feel really bad after in at a time that you should have felt good and it's vice versa as well. Like, even if you roll poorly, the enemy may roll more poorly. It doesn't give a corresponding, oh, I did really well. Yes. I like, I squeaked by anyway. It, it kind of tends to more give a feeling of, well, I guess I, I didn't win. They just failed worse than I did. It doesn't give. <laughs> a good feeling and it does that on both ends like I, whether you did well and lost or you did poorly and won in both of these situations you're not actually getting more good out of the game than if you hadn't have so i think i you will can... say one thing okay it's weird for me to be defending the side and you can talk after me sorry i didn't mean to no 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 it's okay you're <laughs> the uh, so the thing I want to say is there is in low like in low variant systems uh, like opposed roles that, are, that come close uh, just like 
illustrate the same thing that they theoretically illustrate for players. Like, they were on the top of their game where things went well for them versus, like, so if two high rolls can sometimes, if people think this way, it's, it's a hard psychology to get into, but I uh, can come up across as they were at their best and it, it just kind of came down to somebody was edging in better, but, or if both of them do badly, it, like, points to the position the generally being the environment around them was generally terrible for both of them. <laughs> yeah, you uh, can rationalize it and make it so that it seems reasonable, but it does not fix yeah, the yeah, impact of the roles being negated. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're right. I, I, anyway, sorry, Monty. No, no, I, um, I was going to say you might be able to mitigate that like kind of casino effect where you both roll at the same time and compare like numbers immediately because like you said you see your number first and you're like yes i did and then immediately the gm tells you you failed like mm -hmm. i think think gm wise and this is a little bit less design a little bit more like storytelling based the gm can kind of mitigate that letdown by um totally letting the player think that they're that they're stealthy like i'm i'm an amazingly stealthy player and, and like two minutes later like like introduce a gap between um between like the player's excitement and just being like but they saw you like but like all of a sudden like the hallway that you were just entering is full of guards like waiting for you like oh snap like what happened um and i think i think that i think that cuts out a little bit of that like like excitement and then awe failure by by introducing a little bit of time and being like and then if you want to discuss it between the gm and the player be like yeah you totally failed that role but as a player, you know that you're being super stealthy, and you know that you're that you're doing everything that you can. Just um, the circumstances, and this happens narratively too. Like you know, like a character in a in a book will think that they're they're totally sneaking through a complex, and they get like near the end, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like welcome to our chamber mr bond and like all of a sudden all the hench guards come out of like the corridors and everything like that and you're like oh shit like like they knew you were coming right see to i guess to me that's how like most failures in an rpg should like generally be narrated mm -hmm. like unless unless the game is about like characters that are bumblingly incompetent and some games are and that's fun. <laughs> like generally speaking, like the, 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 they're, they're not, I wouldn't consider them failures. The, the bad twists, right. Where, because what, I, and I'm distinguishing that from failure as being a fail state where the game can't go forward, which yeah. is the hard, the hard stop, right? Like a TPK in, in D and D is like a fail state. Um, and, um, but to have that, that, uh, that that bad twist um, is something that that should be like the default. Yeah, role. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it should be like the characters are competent, but something else happened. I think is a, a much better framing of you mm -hmm. uh, than you failed at the action you're supposed to be good at. Uh, one of the mm -hmm. things I've always wanted to do in a game is mm -hmm. is kind of in a way I wish the players couldn't see their own die roll um, because. Mm -hmm. In, in my head, it would be really funny if a player rolled a one and the GM was totally like, oh yeah, you totally sneak by them. You are so, like, you're so bad at what you're doing 
mm-hmm. that you are so confident that you did it successfully because so you, you have no- you want to do the Freddy Krueger effect? <laughs> yes. No, I've totally yeah. seen people do that, but it's, it's like it, the players can still see the role, unfortunately, so they yeah. know otherwise. Yeah, it's it's, it's hard to break that meta of like, I it, I know what actually is happening. It yeah. can be done though, if like I've also seen situations where the GM will roll all the dice, like the players never roll the dice. And the GM just does it all covertly and tells them what's happening. It it, it seems purely narrative on the player's side. Mm-hmm. The downside of that is in a game like D&D, this has problems because a lot of the actions that you take in D&D and many games based upon it, it's that your actions, you do not actually make any choices you don't do anything the only thing you do is roll the dice if you remove the rolling of the dice from DD, it becomes blatantly obvious suddenly how little impact you really have on the game <laughs> uh mm, hmm i uh, so um uh, I was about to bring up an example that didn't quite fit with the, with what you were saying. So never mind. Go ahead. Um, I I've played in actually one of your games, Rob, in which mm-hmm. you made all the players roll the perception checks up front at the very beginning of the session. Mm-hmm. Um, that way, the players didn't know when they were supposed to be rolling the perception checks. They didn't know that there was a situation in which you were supposed to be looking out for something. Mm-hmm. Um. That was one interesting way of doing it because you still got to roll the dice, but um, when your roll became relevant, wasn't known. Right. Yeah. Um, it, but it was. It did. It, it had the. In my observation, it had this kind of bad feeling because if you roll low, you're just like, "Aw, <laughs> I'm not gonna. Well, I'm gonna get ambushed." Yeah. I mean, I would, the, the only way that I'd modify it is like, not only do you roll, but the order that your five rolls took place are random too. So that would be the only other way I th- could think about doing that. Otherwise, like, mm-hmm. otherwise you rolling a one as a player and like you saying, yeah, you're totally confident you didn't see anything because right. you're, yeah. And s- instead of saying like you fell asleep or something like that, like, mm-hmm. like, like you said, the Dunning-Kruger thing in which you are so bad at something that you're convinced you did it right. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's a great narrative hook that's hard to do in RPGs. Yeah, um, on the point of perception checks, I have found that generally it doesn't actually work very well. You're probably better off just not rolling perception, like, ever. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I try to make individual players roll, like, I try not to do the whole, like, group perception checks thing. I tried it two ways. I tried to just individual players do it. And then I've also tried being like, I've, I've tried overloading the game with perception checks. Some of them don't actually matter, but that didn't seem to solve the problem either. No, what I've actually ended up doing for my game is I've set it up so that each of the different like player species and then individual player characters will have the senses at different 
skills, which will tell them what they're capable of noticing. So like, if you don't have magically augmented vision, you cannot see a ghost, even if it's right in front of you, because you can't perceive it kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. But then in addition to that, there are two stats, which are your, your awareness and your... I changed the name on it. I'm trying to remember what I called the other one. But basically, it's like your... It's your active and your passive senses, like whether you're actively looking for information, like trying to actively listen in on a conversation in a crowd kind of thing, or just things that you kind of get like the hair standing on the back of your neck and you feel something's wrong, but you don't know what. Mm -hmm. And by including those as just raw stats for the, the players, then the GM actually knows what information they have in any given situation and they can just tell them oh well this particular player your hearing picks something up and you can hear something's wrong like there's something with your hearing like you you can't even place what it is but you definitely notice something is out of place mm -hmm. which is a cue to explore right that's like yeah that you you have in you have introduced a mechanical uh cue to explore something like through yeah. the perception stat which is not telling the player what there is which is yeah yeah once the player says okay something's off like they just stop for a second and they start listening mm -hmm. now they're using like their active hearing and it's like okay that might actually be better and it's like by the way, um, you're in a forest and uh, you don't hear anything. Like, there's no birds chirping, there's no animals, there's nothing. Mm -hmm. That's that's the information that suddenly something is horribly wrong. Right. But and you're not getting that behind rolls is the point. Yeah, like doing it behind rolls. What I found every time with rolling on these things, it it doesn't really work very well. Like if you roll low, you can't trust the information. Right. Like it, it, it leads into metagaming whether you want it to or not. Yeah. Like no matter how hard you try to avoid it, like even if you're like gating like not necessarily gating, but like where you were doing like all your rolls at the start of the session, even if you put the rolls out of order, like you said, I know there's a one in there somewhere. Something is going to sneak up on me at some point. And it's like, by putting it at the start of the game, now it doesn't even just have like, oh, well, there's that moment of elation that I rolled really well right now. I know there's something good coming. It's that you rolled poorly, and now you have the entire session for dread, which might be good in a horror game. I can see this actually being useful, <laughs> where it's like, you know something's going to catch you eventually. You just don't know when. Like, that would be good for horror metagaming, but... 
if you don't want metagaming in your game, eh, as soon as you're rolling perception, it, it just causes problems the entire way through. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole metagaming thing is is partially solved. I wouldn't, I won't say mostly or is, um, but it's at least partially solved by a social contract at the beginning. You know, saying like, "Hey, like if you know something, try try your best to act as if your character." is acting the situation and not you it's and and especially with new players especially tomorrow it's something i'm going to iterate a few times like like i know you might know something but your character might not know something so try to act as your character would i mean um, it's much harder but sometimes the uh, the reverse is important too oh, no. act as if your character knows your character. something but you don't yeah well oh sorry like, uh, for example, like something should be common knowledge, but you have to tell, like, them. Uh, I forgot what I was gonna say. Like, first, like if you're into a new setting, like your character has lived in this world their entire life, they know certain stuff. You just got into the setting; you don't know very much about it. Like, your character knows what like the common food in the area is. You may not, but they do. Yeah, that's. I mean, as a player, that's why specifically, like what, like when I played the Dresden Files game, and I had not read the Dresden Files yet, I specifically chose a character that didn't know anything about magic, because right. I was like, I have no idea what's happening, guys. You got it. You're gonna have to explain to me as we go what's going on. Um, Actually, really useful to have one of those characters, like one of them. Yeah. In, in the Especially like weird off the wall urban fantasy. Mm -hmm. I, I I typically choose that character if I'm if if for some reason I'm invited to a session of something in which no one's ever or I I'm entirely unfamiliar with. I choose I create a character with low intelligence or low whatever that prevents me from actually knowing anything, <laughs> and then being like, all right, you're gonna have to tell me everything I know because I I'm an idiot, <laughs> both in game and out of game. The interesting part is that there's a reason why you only have one of those, and that's kind of that you are actually taking on the mantle of the protagonist. Mm -hmm. Because in storytelling, that's what you use a protagonist for. That's why it's always, it's almost always that this is some yeah. farm where, like, somebody who doesn't really know what's going on around them, like Luke in Star Wars, right. for example. It's like, he doesn't know what's going on. He has to be taught about the Force. Like, mm -hmm. he is the key. You're following him around. Therefore, he's the perfect individual that you can spout exposition at. Yeah, you want your audience surrogate to be the naive dude. Yeah, I can't remember. There's a term for that, too, and I can't remember it. But, like, um, even in settings in which the character does know, you usually have a character who doesn't know in the scene having something being explained like to them. Uh, what I want to say is uh, if we're doing this, which system should like which system should I use and all that? If we're having this discussion, uh, we need to have uh, this isn't really the good for it, but it's still mandatory. We need to have the 10 minute discussion on why you don't run everything in page. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say before we get to that, we never got to the game Mark was playing or or what he was playing. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> I I haven't been playing much lately because uh, I've just been on a little bit of a vacation ish. Uh, I've been in Ottawa taking a break from my like normal life, but uh, just generally I haven't been playing many games. Um, I had a Lancer game that's been like kind of postponed, cool. um, but we might be getting back into that next week, um, which I'm excited to to see getting up and going again. Um, mm-hmm. But I haven't touched my own game like a month, maybe more. So, yeah, it's uh, not, not been the best time for, for getting some games in, but that's all right. Yeah. Highs and lows. Yeah, right. exactly. Okay, now you can explain in 10 minutes why you don't run everything. Well, I was a volunteer to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a mandatory discussion. I, I mean, I can tell you that why I choose not to do Fate. Um, it was a game that came up in my in my search. Um, yeah, Fate is just it is, it is so open that I don't think as a GM I could I could stomach running it. Okay, um, so I guess that's one valid reason. Uh, what are your reasons, Kavor? We're not running in every, everything in Fate is. Uh, the specific way it handles of competencies and like it, its intricacies, are uh, just kind of rub me the wrong way, and I can't describe it better than that. Hmm. I, um, re- uh, somewhat related. Uh, Shadows of the Demon Lord. I for some reason I don't know why, I can't get behind that game. I've tried really? it so many times, and everyone loves it. Everyone loves that game, and I'm like, I'm with you, man. But I, like every time I play it, I am just sitting there like oh I, I i don't even know i can't describe why i don't like the game i can't oh, right. describe I probably, it all well I, I could probably describe why i don't like fate because i've been in this chat for way too long uh but also the other thing i don't the other thing is fate is actually very bad at simulating things that are not uh how should i phrase this larger than life people who are held back by their uh various major defects <laughs> right yeah if you're not playing a dramatic pulp character in fate it's not you're not doing the game right like fate is very yeah. very <laughs> directed at like yeah you're a pulp hero you have heroic problems you have dramatic problems and your life is drama and that's what that's what your whole shit is is just like this dude gets in trouble a lot and like he's really good at getting out of it but a lot keeps happening you know you're like fate is john McClane in die hard movies mm-hmm. i exactly. think that was my problem playing in fate was i uh i tried to be the straight man like i i tried to be the mundane person the who mundane. didn't know anything and, well that's uh, what's really interesting you know what's really funny so like so the dude who wrote those games was on the show and he told us that he had the same problem. That was like the main, one of the big complaints. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he did Dresden Files Accelerated, he actually made the mundanes like mechanically, like really satisfying. There, so he actually, he took, what he did is he took the, he took the playbook frameworks from Powered by the Apocalypse and mapped them onto Fate uh, in the Dresden uh, Accelerated book, which by the way, only has six stats. So there's only six skills in the thing and the rest of it is stunt based stuff Mm -hmm. it it's one of the 
I think it's probably like the most refined version of the Fate engine, and it's really good. Like, it, it fixes a lot of the problems where the characters felt very samey, and it was just like, who has the biggest number for this was what you did. And there was sort of like, you, whatever you, you wanted to do, you just kind of like relied on your best stuff and your stunts to get you through it. So it was like, you know, I'm, I'm the talkie dude, but I have a stunt that lets me use talkie stuff in combat. And so you just, you're always, you're, you're leaning on your best tricks a lot. And I, the, the way the playbooks work, um, it is they, they give those, they, he, he, what he does, he structures the playbooks in such a way that the tricks you can do are counterbalanced with interesting mechanical downsides. And it's, it just, it just makes it's just a what a little tweak to the fate engine that makes it, mm -hmm. it it eliminates a bunch of the problems i think i feel like original fate expected you to create your own stunts and own tricks with their own downsides instead of using what was given and yeah well especially to me as a player who had who hadn't played it yet i didn't know i did i didn't know how to create one basically so i made uh, probably the most mundane human i could <laughs> Right. Also, I will say that I think Excel's uh, like whole stick, where there are six skills and they are your approaches, is actually way better for what Fate wants to be than having a list of like standard skills. But yeah, that's, which I think they would. I don't remember how there, many there are in the standard state. I think, but it's like it's more than twelve for sure. Yeah, no, uh, Fate standard is. There, here are the, I think it's 20 skill, 24 skills, added and removed yeah. if needed. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in Accelerated, it's just six, which is your, yeah, it's it's how you do things, how you approach a thing. And it, it, what's nice about that is like, they're gonna, there's baked in, there's baked in downsides to all those approaches, right? Because like, if you're trying to do something as a fast dude, then you're not being patient and careful, like by necessity. So like, I, 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 I mean, it's kind of, it's what I started doing with Ashes when I started doing the approaches stuff. As like I'm baking in narrative cues into how you do a thing, and you know the the fact that Ex Fate Accelerated did that is like that's I I'm totally on their side as far as that goes. It just I feel it works better because you're trying to describe those two things are almost separate, right? Because in in a skill. If you're using like a like a skill in D and D or GURPS or something like that, um, you're rolling for competency, but at no point does it make you describe. Uh, it it doesn't mechanize or incentivize describing how you do the thing. So if you roll stealth, the the you you roll for your competency and you're assumed to be doing it super well but it doesn't say anything about the context like if you yeah. roll well so it doesn't say like if you're doing it fast or if you're being patient or if you're being um uh if you're being stealthy by bribing guards for example you know yeah. like i think there's there's a there's a much more interesting way to approach challenges that doesn't rely on on measuring competency uh, the other Thanks. thing i want to say about skills sorry 
I need to get this before we run off topic of a breakfast piece. Okay, the other thing about the reason why approaches are better than skills for fate uh, is uh, fate tries to put a lot of things in your aspects, and generally your aspects will uh, cover things that like you're good at. Like It will cover where your proficiency area should be. Like They should be in your aspects, so having them separate... How should I phrase this? Having the having your skill separate from that doesn't flow with the rest of how fate is designed to me, but I also think I'm not describing this very well. No, 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 you're right. So you could be you could be a police officer and be totally shit at firearms and detective work and like you could you could have bad skills and your aspect is police officer and that means that you should be you have a plus two to all those skills anytime you want. Yeah, yeah, and that, no. should, that that is just that should be how your character works. Is just the plus two. You don't need the other stuff. I think is what you're getting at. Yeah, that's more or yeah. less what I'm getting at. Like, you're go. Uh, generally speaking, your character specific competencies are probably going to be covered by their aspects, um, mm -hmm. or at least heavily implied by them. It's it's right. possible to make a character that doesn't have that, but. Is it also possible to make a character that just like doesn't work as what their aspects govern then based on the skills? Or is that it's like... possible? Probably but that feels like being deliberately You would have to go out of your way. Yeah. Like you would have to you would have to intentionally do it, so I don't yeah. think it's relevant is what I what I'll say. Yeah. Like it doesn't it doesn't make sense because because the skills are not really opaque in what they do, like just from their names. Like it wouldn't make sense to have like, you know, guard of the high councils your aspect and then like not put points in perception. Like you would know like it's it's fairly obvious to do that, or combat or for you know, whatever the sort fighting skill is. Like if the fates it's not like it has a really extensive skill list, like say Shadowrun or GURPS. So you can you can fairly well intuit what your aspects should lead you to it's just that i think what cavour is saying is that like it, you don't need the that extra step mm. like you, yeah. you the aspects tell you what you're good at i mean and that's what 13th age does like it just has backgrounds and backgrounds tell you what you're good at it doesn't it doesn't individuate the skills and i think that's that's a completely reasonable way of doing it and i think that's generally better anyway because you can't enumerate every skill that goes into a profession. Like it's at the risk of extending the conversation. Mm -hmm. Like you can have a perception, like I am a doctor and you could tap doctor for everything, but like maybe your medicine skill is shit because even, even the, um, mm -hmm. like someone gets the doctor that just barely passed their, their exam. <laughs> like someone, someone gets right. that doctor, you know? Right. But that would be, that would be in their aspect though. That would be the thing. That would be like, your aspect would be uh, barely, doctor who barely passed his exam <laughs> yeah yeah i mean but like it, it, like you know you have the lawyer who like got the lowest percentile of passing grade on the bar like right, like right. you have you have those people and and uh like you could you know be a guard of the high council who has terrible eyesight but you did it through but the reason you're a guard of the high council is because you did because you're very you know savvy politically moving up through the structure Yes. Right. I, I see what you're saying. Like there is, there is, you do lose a kind of character nuance when you, when you dispense with a skill list. And I think that happens in any, any, any game where if you so if you're mm -hmm. to take herbs and just reduce it to its attributes, right. Um, you're dispensing with the nuance of like, I'm good at chemistry or 
architecture or stuff like that. But like, I, you're, I don't think you're wrong about that. I think it's just for what fate is, like the nuance can be thrown into the aspect as, as like, mm -hmm. or, or one of your other aspects, right? Because you have at least five and like one of them would be something like politically savvy. And so you would be like, oh, I, that's how he got to the top. It's, yeah. not, it's not because he's the sharpest eyed or Hawkeye would be another one of his aspects mm -hmm. if he was really perceptive. It would be, you know, so the, yeah. the, way, the way fate works, it's like you can, I, I totally see where you're coming from because you are you are losing a, 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 a vector for describing the internal workings of a particular character and individuating them from other characters. But for the, I think for, I think Cavalier's right, for the way fate does it, like you can, you can have that individuation. You just don't need that much. Yeah. yeah I, and, and stuff like that should be described through your aspects, not, not through the skills that you put in. Like, yeah. like guard of the high council that has, you know, a five in diplomacy is weird. And you should probably mention why as, as an aspect. Right. right. Well, actually, if you just phrase it like that, you have a high council with five in diplomacy. You know what? Yeah, that makes sense. That's a lot of what being a guard of the high council is, I assume. Talking <laughs> people down. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. I mean, yeah. like if your job as guard of the high council is to look pretty in front of dignitaries, that's, that's, what, that's what that implies to me. I would also assume that at that point, like the people that you have to defend against probably aren't like petty criminals it's probably another diplomat right and if you just like smack the shit out of them that becomes a diplomatic incident so you have to do it you have to tell them kindly to take their shit elsewhere mm -hmm. <laughs> yes but okay. just a uh this is Oh wow, we are way too far in the tangent. But uh, <laughs> what I'm gonna say is just a lot of the times when you play fate, uh, like your aspects start, like the full meaning of your aspects starts to become more clear as you play the character more, yeah. and like people will know what your skill set should be based on that. The only problem is it doesn't give a constant bonus, but you know what? You don't need the constant bonus. No, I, well, I mean, you, you, that's the thing. Like you, you could just add that back in. You could just say like, you just get a plus one to anything that you have as the attribute and get another plus two. If you, you know, when you spend the fate point or whatever, like th there's ways to, there's ways to do that. Like I just. Yeah, but yeah. that's not required because uh, how Excel works is you would only be doing things that you should should be theoretically confident at in the first place. Uh, anyway. Right. You're 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 assumed to be competent at basically everything, yeah. Or yeah, everything you're like, competent at. If you're yeah. doing something specific and narrow, you're probably not doing something specific and narrow that is not your focus. Well, <laughs> yeah, in fate, yes, yes. In fate, yeah. That that yeah. You're supposed to be the hero in the right place at the right time. That is literally yeah. one of the things that a fate point does. Yep. Yeah, anyway, sorry for this tangent. I just thought it was something that we should talk about if this was what our topic was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we got to the bottom of the well on that yeah, one. Yeah. yeah, we did. Uh, is there anything else anybody wants to discuss? Because yeah. I should probably step out soon. Okay. Okay. Um, I actually want to go back to something that Rob was saying a moment of a couple minutes ago now, but it was like, you know, how 
he was saying like roll for this ability and it doesn't actually prompt you to say how you're doing that mm-hmm. now i actually had a conversation a little while ago where there was uh people that were saying that this was one of the best things about D because it by not prompting you it's prompting you to fill in the blank and i did not actually follow their logic on that okay. <laughs> I yep. actually don't understand where they were going with that. Okay, but, I was trying to see. I can but, kind of, Yeah, all right, go ahead. But I would also like to say that this is kind of a good thing in a way because it goes back to the thing about things your character knows that you don't. Hmm. Like, this has an issue where it's, it's not system mastery, it's like role-playing mastery where, well, you... As a player, if you happen to know how to be diplomatic, it's like, okay, how do you go about doing this? And it's like, okay, my character doesn't actually know, but I'm going to say I do this particular thing and it's totally going to work even though the role says otherwise. Or if you leave it open, like the character knows how to do this diplomacy thing I have no idea what to do in this situation, but presumably my character with like a plus 27 in this skill probably knows what they're doing. So can I just roll and assume that they figure this out? Because I don't know what to do here. Mm -hmm. That's not quite the same thing as what approaches are. Like the vector isn't the same. Like, you don't need to know how to do diplomacy to say that you are doing diplomacy stealthily, right, sneakily, or to say you're doing it uh, forcefully, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that can be helpful to, to give kind of a nudge into thinking about things in a certain way, but at the same time, like... Well, like, I'm like, as a kind of both as a player and a GM, like, I try to encourage those around me to, to, you know, role play out their character. But there are some times where you just hit a point because not everyone is, you know, a great improv actor. Not everyone's, you know, a great actor in general. And a lot of people in this world are not very quick on their feet. So, like, mm. like, like, say I am playing a charismatic character. Um, an example came up in which I played a game the other day where, 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 where someone's like, all right, so what does your rap sound like? And I'm like, oh, uh, pardon? Like, like, yeah, like, like you were, you went into a rap battle. Like, what'd you say? And I'm like, oh man, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, come on. Um, like I roll I am... really good. <laughs> Yo, I got that loot and my boots are shiny. Yeah. Like, Don't come at me. Cause I'll kick your hiney. It's it it's it's one of those things where like I wouldn't know, but my character with you know right, crazy right. high like performance, um you know would know and crazy crazy high uh, we were playing a uh, uh, cyberpunk red crazy high performance and crazy high uh, um, composition he would mm-hmm. totally totally be able to get through this like situation. Um, yeah, see, there's there's situations where that becomes an issue, like. Mm-hmm. I had a game that I was playing in, like I was not the GM for this, but 
one of the other players playing a bard. Um, pretty notable case of Asperger's. And they basically had exactly that situation. It's like, okay, how's your song going? And they, it's like, what are you doing for it? And they, they managed, even though they had gotten an extremely ridiculously high roll because of exploding dice, <laughs> the player did not know how to do that to the point that how it actually ended up happening in the game was the GM basically described it as they did such a good job, they managed to um, knock out the eardrums of like the person that they were singing to and they actually killed the person. <laughs> I, so what? I, I would say as a GM, like I would treat a situation like that to where like, all right, well at least, you know, try to tell me like, I. Honestly, as a GM, I would never make someone sing. That's a specific thing uh -huh. that a lot of people are terrified of doing in public. So I would not, I would not uh, I make had... that happen. Okay, so I, I need to say this. I sure. feel bad. Uh, there are specific players I will make sing because I know that they will deal with it. Yes. I, I play with enough people who have a musical theater background that, you know, when oh. I put them on that spot, they, they will be fine. <laughs> well, that's fucking rad. Well, yeah. yeah. But, like, um, like I, I do agree. Like, But but then that's, that's, like, but is that, like, a design thing? Or is that specifically how a GM should, should treat a situation? Because as a GM, like, I will always ask my player to describe what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I will usually try to ask them before they roll. Um, yeah. When they roll, and if... Their, if their actual description of what they're doing and how well they roll don't quite line up, I usually introduce kind of like a wild card into the narrative that like, 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 so you had trouble convincing him, but um, he's like, you know what? Like, say you're trying to, you know, convince a merchant to buy something off you mm -hmm. and just be like, like, like I'm trying to sell you an emerald and like I roll really good on my, on my selling, but for some reason, I just vocally am like, this is a shiny rock and it's great. Would you like to buy it? Um, <laughs> like I, I would make the, but you rolled well, I'd be like the NPC, the NPC looks at it and be like, Oh, that's an emerald. That's like, that's my, my daughter's birthstone. She could really use this right now. Right. Like the, the, the narrative, it kind of takes a little bit off, off the player to be the good narrative, but like it, it the, the excitement of the situation is still preserved in a way. Yeah, I no, I totally agree. With that that's yes, totally it's do it that way. way, of doing way to do it. It. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, that's it. Just it just it it doesn't because what you're doing there is you're not faulting the player for anything. Yeah, or, I, yeah. I'm big on not on not punishing the player for bad role playing. Not because yeah. like un, unless I know that player is capable of good role playing. Like and they just phoned it in. I might be like, "Hey, listen." <laughs> um, but like, uh, if There's if if it's a new play, especially if it's a new player, especially yeah. if it's someone not used to it, I will never punish the player for bad role playing because that one is just Dumb. like you know, you're gonna turn them off. People who will, 
Which I think is the issue. It's like, you don't already know how to do everything, so I'm not going to teach you. And it's like, wait, what? Like, yeah, exactly. Blame this reasoning? Mm -hmm. I, yeah, and I, I'm supposed to be having fun with you, and I'm not going to teach you how to play the game. We're like, what the fuck? What are we doing? Like, what <laughs> is your goal, actually? I think it's just to feel superior to me, actually, is what, what's going on here. And, no, I've like, definitely and seen I, it in a couple of people, and it does so tend to be an elitist mentality of, like, mm -hmm. well, if you don't know how to roleplay, then you shouldn't be roleplaying. And it's like... The, then teach them how to role play. Like you're gonna have way more fun if you make it make them capable of entertaining you than if you just get pissed off yes. that you don't know how to do it. Like basic problem solving. You should probably try it. <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah, I mean, I, it's so weird because you see. I mean, you can just go on Reddit and be like, our RPG horror stories, and just like. And there was a thread on RPG.net that was just, that was like, I swear, 50,000 posts long about like just insane, just insane shit. Uh, and, and I mean, like dudes running games for Brazilian gang members where like everybody's <laughs> bringing guns and cocaine to the game and they start gambling on the D20. Oh, well, yeah, like, that was my post. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it Mark, Mark's other life as a drug runner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in Brazil, of your life, yeah, right, coming up in the favela. <laughs> <laughs> he had to get out because he just stood out too much. I mean, that was <laughs> um, but no, that would it's like people. It it somehow somehow like RPGs can can attract the strange insular group that only that somehow exists to make themselves more insular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, any, any group, especially, especially one that, you know, surrounded themselves with like geek culture or nerd culture, you know, 10 years ago in which it would be taboo to kind of talk about like, like, like at work now, like I will go into my work's general chat and be like, Hey, I'm playing a D and D game tonight. Don't bother me. Right. Like I, I wouldn't have done that ten years ago. I would have been like, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I got I'm busy on Friday, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, what I will say is, I am, I am, I have the fortunate thing of being two part of, of having been part of two very different communities that are obsessed with making themselves more insolent. It's the RPG one, and then there's the punk music scene. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, punk music is 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 the uh yeah that is that thing if it, yeah well i mean yeah uh, uh, what you yeah anyway moving on i just felt the need to say that uh is there anything else anybody wants to discuss or should i run up or can i run away <laughs> you can run away we will release you back into your ethereal realm thank you from once again probably a good time for me to head off as well so all right dude Thank you for the chat. Thank you, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this extremely rambling episode of Foil Forward, where we introduced a new person who might come back or might not. Hooray! Uh, I was going to say, I've, I mean, I've listened to you all before. Is this different than any of the other rambling? Nope. This is about pretty normal, actually. So yeah, I, I, I feel yeah, like it was slightly worse. 
But do you ever uh, like to apologize for things we just do as a matter of course? Because he's yeah, yeah, I do. You know, that's like you were talking about that earlier, but uh, because of how saying apologizing is ingrained in me, it's just kind of. Uh, yeah, again, he's Canadian, therefore. Yeah, I, I, I'm extremely a certain type of Canadian. Although, I, <laughs> although that's not an action excuse because I don't, because the specific type of Canadian means I should use uh, due to the universal gender form of address, and I do not. So I don't know how I can restrain that, but not this. Anyway, good night, everyone. <laughs> good night, everyone. All right, who wants to kick the chat out? Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, or not, we're not picky, leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, and uh, and Pornhub. Because why not? Gotta go where your audience is, right? Good night, everyone. <laughs>